Welcome to a single serving podcast. I'm your host, Shaney Silver. I started this podcast because whenever I saw content for single women, it was about dating, how to date better, how to survive dating. And I know that we deserve more than that. So I created this podcast to change the way being single is seen, discussed, and felt. And I'm so happy to have you here with me. I hope you'll also consider joining the Facebook group for this podcast. It's become a really supportive community full of people sharing stories and encouraging one another and actually meeting up in real life too. There are three main ways that you can support this podcast. The first is simply share it, share it with someone who needs to hear it, share it with your family, share it with your friends, anybody who could use a change in perspective when it comes to being single. The second way is you can rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It takes two seconds and it's a huge deal that really helps podcasters, um, get more visibility and continue to do their work. And then the third way is you can become a patron of mine on Patreon. Patreon is a platform that helps independent creators earn money for creating the work that people enjoy. So there are multiple tiers that you can join, but my favorite one is a $5 tier that comes with an extra bonus episode of this podcast every single month. So there will be a link to it below. Check it out. And in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me. Hello to the most fantastic podcast audience in the world. This is your host, Shaney Silver, who did not plan what she was going to say in her intro to you today, because last week I planned it down to the wire and I cried. So we're winging it today, flying by the seat of my pants, my comfy pants, my stretchy pants, and we will just see where we end up. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you also to everybody who takes the time to share it with friends, to rate it and review it. And a massive, massive thank you to everyone who is a patron of mine on Patreon. It is uh, the most meaningful thing ever that you guys support my work through Patreon. It's the reason this podcast gets to keep going. And um, if you enjoy this podcast and you would like to say thanks or support the work that I do, you can check out my Patreon in the show notes. There's a link down there for you. Um, also hello to everyone in the Facebook group. Hi, you're the best. Love you. Hello to all of my international listeners. Um, I really love going into my podcast stats and seeing where all of you guys live. That's like one of my favorite things is just seeing all the different parts of the world where people are listening to this voice of all things come through a microphone. As I record this for you, it is uh, exactly one week until the election. I am recording a bit early because quite honestly, I would like to take a few days off to uh, take care of my mental health, my emotional health, to have a proper Halloween as proper as can be had in 2020. Um, so I'm taking care of this a bit early, but um, you will be most likely hearing this on Monday, November the 2nd, which is one day before the election. And I just want to say to everyone listening, um, we'll be okay. No matter what, we'll be okay. You're not alone. And no matter what, I really believe that we are all going to be okay. Um, so take care of yourselves, do what you need to do. And um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say there. I think it's been a long four years. <laughs> like, should I cut that out? No, it's been a long fucking four years. Um, but everything's going to be okay. And um, I'm thinking of all of you all the time. So I have a great, great episode for you today. It's actually like the perfect like pre-election balm, I hope. I am interviewing Lise Wilcox. And can I just read you her like tagline? Let me just tell you who she is. Uh, she is a transformational mindset and success coach changing the global conversation on emotional health and self-love. I help high potential women courageously become the vision of themselves they can't stop dreaming about. I mean, if that doesn't sound nice to you, you may have come to the wrong podcast. I don't know. It sounds fantastic to me. Lisa and I connected on Instagram because we, um, kind of operate in similar circles and have friends in common. And um, I wanted to speak with her because I really admire the work that she does. And I honestly just had like a few questions I really wanted to ask her. Uh, so I hope that you enjoy our chat together. As always, thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for entertaining the idea that being single isn't a bad thing that we're allowed to not hate this. And we are allowed to not try to end this as soon as possible by finding partnership as if it's some horrific life state to be in that we should be ashamed of. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you're single at all. Being single is actually fantastic. Uh, so is being in a relationship. They are both equally cool. Um, I'm sorry if you can hear a very loud truck 
outside my window. I have very little insulation. There's not much I can do. Um, but yeah, thank you for being a part of this and for, um, I guess like entertaining a different narrative because we needed one. Um, and I'm really happy to create a podcast that contributes to that. So thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoy this chat with Lise and, um, we're going to be okay. We are going to be okay. So Lise Wilcox, hi. Hi. (laughs) Um, welcome to a single serving podcast. Would you do me a favor and tell everybody who you are, where you are, what you do, and um, I, I want to say something cute and witty about the election, but honestly, I'm spent. So let's just start with the particulars of you, and then we will move on with uh, certainly the best part of the best part of my afternoon. <laughs> that was a lot of questions back to back, and I have no short term memory, but I'm going to do the best that I can to answer. I'll, all I'll of spot those. you. I'll spot you if you forget. Don't worry. My name is Lise Wilcox. I am a master mindset and success coach. I am just an hour east of Toronto, Canada. And um, I really, I give people permission to be themselves for a living. I mean, if that ain't a dream job. um, (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to all of my Canadian listeners, by the way. There are a lot of you and I love you very much. I wish I could come and see you. And as I told Lise about five minutes ago, if things don't go well tomorrow, (laughs) getting the fuck out of here. And I'm going to Montreal. Um, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you for getting in touch with me via Instagram, that wonderful, wonderful channel to friends that I use it for. Um, If we're not using social media to make actual friends in life, I don't know. We're just (laughs) just bitching into the void instead, I guess. Like what else is it for? I don't really know. This is how I like social uh, Instagram really is my social life. Like this is how I've met so many people all over the place. And I'm just so jazzed to be here. Let's get a little deeper into what you do professionally, because I think it will set a very good stage for the rest of our discussion. So tell everybody, how did you come to be in your current career? How'd you get here? Accidentally, plus a lot of years of education and like recovering from past trauma or past mistakes or just it was like one step ahead of the other I never stopped moving and then I kind of found myself here right and that's like not to dismiss my experience it's been lots of conscious decision making lots of intuitive listening and lots of really hard work but ultimately about five years ago I blew up my life when I called time of death on my marriage. Um, I hate the expression like, oh, the marriage fell apart or I left the marriage because like divorce doesn't work like that. Like it's such a two-way street. And uh, I really did. I was the one to call time of death on the marriage. And that just radically changed everything in my life. I felt like I'd pushed this detonation button on the life that I knew. And that really launched me forward into the life that I have. So, you know, five years ago, I was a former educator turned stay-at-home mom with three kids under the age of three at that point. And, you know, dot, dot, dot. Now I run a six-figure coaching practice. I have my kids, or I've raised my kids like 80% of the time until very recently. I've come through breast cancer. I published a best-selling book. I host a podcast. It's like, it's been kind of a whirlwind <laughs> a short few years. Well, you're not busy is what you're saying. There's your... <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Casual. And, and I'm so conscious and so intentional about being present in both my work, which I love, and in my family, which I love. And so my really, like I'm really dialing that, dialing into that for 2021 to very much be concentrated on working in my specific areas of strength and really uh, being mindful to be more present in both my business and my, and my family. And you mentioned that you are divorced and I, that's actually something that has been a priority of mine is to have more conversations around divorce and with those who have been through divorce. My only experience with it is uh, my parents have both been divorced several times. So I had a lot of experience with that as a child, but I don't have it uh, in my experience bank as a grown-up. And I, I would like to mm-hmm. understand it better. I would like to have more discussions about it. I know the audience feels the same. Uh, so yeah. thank you for joining me uh, for a lot of reasons, that being one of them. <laughs> um, but also because this is a single audience that's listening, um, but also hi, if you're in a couple, love you too. 
Are you currently single and how would you describe your overall like thoughts on what singlehood is for us as, as grownups, as grownups? I, I am currently single. I, I don't wish to be like, I am one of the people who I very much desire partnership. I have very much desired partnership and this true, like solid home of a family since I was little, since I was very, very little. And so it's still like top of mind. It's probably very honestly, it's probably my biggest pain point for me because I can't make this happen, right? Like if I want more clients, I technically, I can make that happen. Like I can do all kinds of things and implement all kinds of strategies into making that happen. And, you know, if I want to be a better parent, I can take that action. I can do all that, all that in my own life. My relationship life is like, wow, man, the only thing I can do is be me. And I'm very, very comfortable with that. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in like less doing and more, more being. And what that means for me is like just being so conscious of accepting that this is the way that it is for now. I don't think this will be the way that it is forever. And so it's constantly, and I, I mean like constantly trying to just make peace with the fact that like, okay, this is what my life looks like right now. So how do we enjoy it as it is? Oh, there's like a difficult moment or there's a difficult emotion. Okay, cool. Let's use like all of my mindset skills and changing the global conversation on emotional health and self-love and really tapping into figuring out where that feeling is still coming from and what more importantly, is it telling me that still needs to be healed? So yes, I'm single. No, I don't wish to be. I think that these are beautiful conversations to have. I mean, I'm 39. I'm a single parent or a solo parent of three little girls. I've raised like three feminists, which is, I mean, they're 10, eight and eight. And the conversations we have at home, like I know what a win that is. And still like, we all just want somebody else to come into our lives with us, you know? And that's a part of the divorce conversation that I don't know that people are having it in a very honest way. I really like what you said about, I can't make this happen. And it's the most, one of the most frustrating things because in every area of life that we've ever been uh, exposed to, effort tends to match reward, except in the single space. It doesn't matter how much effort you put in, that won't guarantee you anything. It might net you something, maybe, but no one can guarantee that for you. You also don't know if doing absolutely jack shit will find you the love of your life. We have no idea. I'm in your camp. I also very much am desirous of partnership, Mm -hmm. but uh, refuse to hate my single life on the way there. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and what I feel like what we're really talking about is like an area of huge passion of mine, really identifying the energies behind this, right? So a masculine energy versus a feminine energy, which as you know, has nothing to do with being male or female or how you identify, but really applying that masculine approach to dating, which is what we're, I think, often encouraged to do, or even applying the masculine approach to being single is to like do achieve open up that app and start swiping because it's just a numbers game. So the more you swipe, the more you achieve. And it's like, no, we are talking about tapping into this feminine energy of like, I'm going to cultivate what makes me feel good, what brings me pleasure, what makes me feel like a whole and independent human. And from there, I will allow myself to like enter into a relationship when the time is right. Like two very, very different approaches. I love that. I love uh, digging into masculine and feminine energies and and also being very clear that those have nothing to do with gender. Um, And I was struggling with the feminine shocker for a while. And a friend of mine, Nikki Novo, who is incredible, actually, she does phenomenal work. And I will link to her in the show notes if you guys want to check her out. But she once told me when I was trying to like ease a bit into my feminine, she's like, yeah, the feminine receives, but Mm -hmm. don't forget that that's an entity that also knows when to push quite literally. Yeah. So you'll know, you don't have to have a grasp on everything. You can just kind of ease in and not know Mm -hmm. and trust more than you're Mm -hmm. trusting. All of the above is so helpful. Like I've, I've actually never really thought about, because I I hate the term, like find someone I hate assigning like a to-do list item that is, you know, find partner. That's really upsetting to me because it connotes that like you're lacking something and you have to fix it. That's like a chore on your to-do list. So I've never really dug into it versus, you know, like masculine feminine as it applies to relationships. I've never thought about that, but now you have given me something to think about after we hang up. Just want to let you know. (laughs) 
So in digging into your uh, website, mm-hmm. which by the way is quite the read, if anyone <laughs> would like to check out her website, it's linked in the show notes. Um, you mentioned so many, I mean, there were so many terms and phrases that were super exciting to me. And I've had people come on the podcast before and discuss a variety of methodologies. And I want them all to be discussed mm-hmm. here because anything that makes us feel better and feel like more mm-hmm. ourselves and feel more God, calm and at peace and confident mm-hmm anything that helps us get there is very much at home here. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I found that I did not understand or have a definition for and didn't want to Google, I would rather just talk to you. Um, the phrase is neuro-linguistic programming. I would like to know what it is and yeah. how you think it fits into the life of a single person. Oh, I love that. So neuro-linguistic programming gets shortened down to NLP. And that's what I have a master's level certification in. Whereas I prefer to say ninja skills, like I have like ninja skill level coaching. And effectively what NLP is, is a user's manual to the mind. So my training has been almost 100% focused on how does your mind work? And for me, my own context is how does that affect your emotional body because I know how the emotional body works and I want to know how it's connected. So, and this is why this is important. There's so much rhetoric, especially in the online space of like, you know, that you have actions and behaviors. And if I love this, like if you just change your thoughts, you will change your actions and behavior. And that is a lie. And there is currently a seven best times, like bestseller, author on the New York Times bestseller list who's like advocating for this, that all you have to do is change your thoughts and your your actions and behavior change. And it's not true. Your thoughts are really dictated by your deeply held and unconscious beliefs. So usually the way we acquire those beliefs happens in the first seven years of our, of our lives. Like that's that really malleable zero to seven period of um, development And it doesn't have to be a significant emotional event. It can be something as tiny and seemingly insignificant as, you know, for example, somebody mentions when you're a toddler that you're a really big girl. And then they say again, when you're five, like, oh, wow, what a big girl you are. And there's something about your particular experience and past life stuff and genetic makeup. It's like, bam, storyline, I am fat. And that's just like one tiny example. It could be, you know, you're six and you didn't do as well on the spelling test as you wanted. And there was some massive event at home. Like maybe your, your mom freaked out because you didn't get the right score, quote unquote. And there's something about that moment that triggers something deep inside you from a safety perspective, from a seeking love and affection perspective, that if I do X, I get result Y. Therefore, I will continue or never, ever do again X. And that becomes our, as Carl Jung says, like that becomes your fate until you decide to consciously bring that unconscious to the forefront. And that's what we do with NLP. So we get a really clear sense through talking one-on-one, like what is your story? And I'm always looking for, and this is like, I don't have a ton of friends right now. And I'm very honest about that because it's like really difficult to just maintain a normal friendship when your own pattern is to like, look for these patterns in conversation. But you know, when I'm talking to somebody, I hear red flags all the time. That's like, oh, I could never do that. And so immediately I'm like, oh, cool. Where did that story come from that told you you could never, ever do that, right? Or when somebody's like, I think I probably just did it a second ago, like, oh, I could never do this. Or I don't have friends because it's like, ah, so when did you decide that? So NLP allows us the tools to figure out what these stories are, what language is shaping them, where they first came from and where they first appeared. This is the juicy stuff. What purpose they served to protect you because your subconscious is always looking for signs of fear in your environment. What purpose did they serve? How do they protect you? And what lessons do you need to learn from them in order to fully let go and move the hell forward with your life? So it's like, you know, a more modern way of saying it would be like, it's the ultimate like valet for emotional baggage. Cause it's just like, and see and never, it's a really, really wonderful healing modality. And I'm like, I feel very fortunate to understand how it works. I do something very similar through Lacey Phillips work. 
Um, it's about like uncovering the limiting beliefs from when you were a kid and sort of reprogramming them so that your subconscious isn't looping around these limiting beliefs any longer. Um, I learned to equate attention with embarrassment. I learned that they mean the same thing. So then as an adult, when I want to do things like grow a podcast audience and receive attention, it's not working because I'm fucking blocking it. Because I associate if people are paying attention to you, you will be embarrassed. You will feel shame. So I have to like change that story for myself. A hundred percent. And it's, and I'm, what I'm a huge advocate for is that you can't change that consciously. You can consciously decide to change that, but then you have to do this deep, um, like it's like basically, a, it feels like a guided meditation. We would do yeah. like a release technique. Yeah, Lacey Phillips definitely does NLP with you. Um, but um, uh, really tapping into what those stories are, where they came from. Because as I said, like your subconscious, it's always sweeping the environment environment for danger. So if there's a bear walking down the street, it's great thing. Cause your subconscious is like, Oh my God, that's so dangerous. It triggers you into fight, flight, freeze, right? Like it perceives fear. You go immediately into a changed physiology, which sends all kinds of signals to your body. The design flaw is that because the brain loves status quo and the brain loves to keep things the way it's always done them, when there is some kind of perceived danger and it could be like, you know, now I'm aware that I equate attention to embarrassment. As I start to branch off from that pattern, now my brain perceives that to be dangerous and it puts me into that same physiological state of fight, flight, freeze. So until you make the conscious decision to work with somebody to go deep, like deep, 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 and clear off those stories and negative associations, it literally doesn't matter what your thoughts are. Because your belief system, which is, again, underlined, designed to protect you from all safety risks and all danger, you can't actually act or behave in the way you want until you've gone deep change that belief. And then you start to reframe your language patterns and perspective patterns around what those beliefs are so that you can affect actual change in your day-to-day life. So do you think that those conscious thoughts and and conscious actions reinforce the new, the new story that you are subconsciously developing? Okay, good. Totally. Good. Can I give you an example of that? Oh, please, please. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, here, here are two examples for being single in general. Let's say somebody like really desires partnership. And this has been part of my own experience. So I can share this. I deeply, deeply desire partnership. But when I would start to do this work and figure out, like try to figure out what my stories were around relationships, the stories, and it's painful to feel sometimes, but the stories came up that like, I don't trust somebody. I really don't trust anybody because Anybody I've ever loved has shown me that love is conditional. And just as I get really comfortable and trust them, it feels like the rug is being pulled out from under me. So suddenly you've got this deep desire for partnership and this intense security and safety risk that because your brain is designed to protect you, you can't actively pursue. It doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter what you want. You can't actively pursue that because your brain is like, no, you're in danger. If you have that, if you have that, you're going to be in danger again. In your example, again, if you equate um, attention to embarrassment, then um, if, um, so I'm getting so clunky. If you equate attention to embarrassment and your brain wants to keep you so safe from that, you, let's say you do the work and, you know, you do the work to clear it out. I do my own work to clear my stuff out as that belief changes. And we can get like secure with that deep in our subconscious. Then We engage our conscious mind to look for physical proof. So I would start to look at all the relationships of which there are many in my own life that are so safe, that are so loving, they're unconditional, they are secure. And that might just be like, you know, when we used to go to concerts, I would like deliberately go to concerts and look for people who were just so affectionate with their partner and be like, oh my God, I can start to normalize that for myself, right? You might start to look at all of the examples in your own life, or I love starting with like celebrity celebrity lives because they're so public and working backwards. But all of the examples in your own life and the lives of people around you in which attention equals whatever you want it to equal, success, accolades, encouragement, happiness. So you do the deep foundational belief changes 
And then you back that up with conscious thought by deliberately looking for new information. And if you think of the subconscious as like this lens that we're constantly looking through, when you have an old, limiting, uncomfortable, negative, or I would even say toxic belief, that is the lens through which you are constantly looking, right? Think about that, how like how profound that is. When we go deep and we change these beliefs, it's like we've put on a brand new lens and then that conscious thought, that looking for conscious proof that what you want actually totally exists and it's not difficult, it's around you all the time. It's like the equivalent of just spritzing that lens every now and then just, and just polishing it, just like keeping it nice and clean because that's the healthy, normal lens that we want to be looking through. And I've also, uh, tell me if you agree, I've found that, you know, those things that pop up that used to freak you out, like all of the, um, all of the can'ts or the shoulds or the, when, when yeah. something triggers you and you just yeah. feel awful, I used to just feel awful. Yeah. Now I know that if something is triggering me, I get super excited because I'm like, oh, something new to work on. It's like, it's a gift. Like it starts to like the more upset you get about something, the more of a gift it is because it shows you where you need to work as opposed to just being fucking clueless and not knowing what to do. I've now got plans. Yeah. And also hopefully if you do NLP or anything in this vein, um, you also have a roadmap for how to how to address something that didn't make you feel good before. It's, it's a very different way of approaching the world and moving through the world. And it's, it's weird to consider something shitty happening to you being a gift. And well, and it's so fascinating. Like when was Plato alive? Like, can we agree a long, long time ago? (laughs) Yeah. A long, long time ago. And Plato said, I think it was Plato. It might've been Socrates. I think it was Plato though. Know thyself. And that's what we're talking about. Like this whole experience, it really is about self-mastery. In my book, on my podcast, to the lady at the grocery store, like I will say over and over again, our feelings are only feedback. And that feedback is constantly giving us insights as to what still needs to be healed. So that's another kind of NLP trick to look at anything that happens in your life, like any emotion, no matter what the scope and be like, Oh, interesting. Like, how do I come at this with curiosity and be like, wow, this is what intense rage feels like. What is this telling me? Or, you know, I told you I've had like a really emotional and like just a few intense weeks. And every time it's like, okay, so I'm aware that this feeling does not define me. It used to really define me, right? If I had like a bad day or a bad moment, it was like immediately gone such a failure. I will never be successful, whatever it is. I'll never find love. And now it's like, okay, I know this is just a feeling. I know this feeling does not define me. And I know it's trying to tell me something. So it's like, suddenly it's like Lassie. You're just talking to Lassie. It's like, what's that girl? Jealousy (laughs) still alive and well? Is it possibly because, and then you can start to like game your own system simply by having the emotional awareness of not even is not even challenging those thoughts. It's accepting those thoughts and really kind of delicately investigating where they're coming from. I, I kind of call it this like compassionate call out. That's like, no, you're not a failure. You feel like a failure in the moment. So where's that failure coming from? Is it possible that, and then we just dig, 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 right? I love that. There's so much comfort in everything that you're saying. I also like the idea of just like forgiving yourself on the regular, like even mm-hmm. when you're thinking negative thoughts, you're dealing with negativity on two levels, right? One, it's just like this negative thought. Mm-hmm. Like I like for like for me, it would be something like, "Well, men don't want you." That would be the thought. That's the limiting belief that I have to reprogram around relationships yeah. and guys. So there's that thought yeah. that's in there already. That's that's something negative that I'm reiterating to myself, right? Yeah. But then on top of that, for extra fun, is mm-hmm. you shouldn't be thinking that thought you need to fix that thought. You know, that thought's not true. You know what I mean? So it's like (laughs) double layers of of shit to climb out of. It's, you have to forgive yourself. Which we call shame. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I'm a giant walking bucket of shame most of the time, (laughs) but there's so much forgiveness there because it's like, if I hadn't ever identified that about myself, I wouldn't have things to work on now. And I wouldn't be feeling so much better these last few years than I did, you know, the rest of my life on your website, you Mm -hmm. mention 
unleashing our authentic, successful, and vibrant selves. Mm-hmm. Uh, for frame of reference, can you describe what it looks like when we are not living authentically, successfully, or vibrantly? What does that feel like? What are some cues that might clue us in that a little NLP might help? I mean, how much time do we have? That, that feeling <laughs> you get when you feel like you're drowning inside, mm-hmm. the feeling you get when you're terrified of being found out, for who you really are, or somebody might peek behind the curtain and see the real you and then everything will fall apart. That feeling of never truly being able to measure up, that feeling of constantly need to reach outside for something external to you to make you feel whole. And it might be through drinking, it might be through drugs, it might be through relationships or sex, it might be through online shopping. Like basically all of Solange's first song, Crane, it was called Cranes in the Sky. Like that's all about filling the void, right? So if you identify with anything in so in that song, like, yep, there's there's a void that you're trying to fill. That's what happens when we're living out of alignment with who we are. And uh, it's too cold for me to show you, <laughs> but I have like one of my 22 tattoos is this, it's this wolf girl. It's this little girl in a party dress and she's wearing this like intense wolf mask. And the art appears in my book again, as she's like taking off this mask and looking at it. And that to me is what this is all about. It's just like coming home to yourself, taking off the masks, all those masks that we put on. And honestly, that we had to put on to feel like we could be safe, to feel like we could be with the people we had to be with, or we had to the like, we did what we had to do to survive emotionally, sometimes physically. I understand that. But then you get to this point in your adulthood and it's like, wait a second. If I feel like I'm drowning inside and I feel like I'm constantly only doing things because I'm supposed to do them. If I, you know, I work with a lot of people who've gone through this checklist. They're like, oh shit, I fucking did everything right. So how come I still feel like this? And it's like, because you did everything right. You climbed all the right ladders. You met all the right people. You went to all the right schools. You made quote unquote, all the right decisions. And you're not happy because you're not living as who you are. You're living as to some other, somebody else's definition of who you are. And you know what you and I just talked about when you have that, that profound, like guttural feeling of like, uh Oh, and then you back that up. But with like, who am I to feel this way? Like, look at all the beautiful things that I have. Look at the life I'm creating. Look at the partner I have. Like, look at this family I've built. This is kind of personal. How dare I be unhappy? Experience talking. Yeah. How, how dare I? How dare I not be grateful for this? And then there are two schools of thought, right? You can start, you can keep sleepwalking through life in this zombie state of like, I do have so much. I should be grateful for this. And I get it. There's a lot to be grateful for. Or you can do this Phoenix rising, Phoenix rising approach of like, shit, I have to light it all on fire and like really be true to who I am. And both are hard. (laughs) Both are really hard. So what I do in my work is make it easier to do like the other way of like this real, this real journey home to who you are and this courageous act, this rebellious act of simply being yourself. That's what like, I don't know, I was never allowed to be myself. I had to feel, I felt like I had to repress who I was for so long. And I was so rejected. The instant, like a little bit of me started to shine through. I'm really passionate about this work because I've seen what it looks like on the other side. And it's so much easier. (laughs) It's just so much more freeing and peaceful and lovely. Have you found that for our generation, at least, your 30s are a second childhood? in a sense. Yeah. Developmentally, we don't actually transition into adulthood until around age 29. So technically, like we're still teenagers or adolescents right up until we turn 30. I find the 30s, I mean, it is, it's almost an unfair decade because A, there's, yeah, there's like a lot of pressure and expectation put on your 30s, but B, your 30s are either typically when you're either having kids or deciding not to have kids, which are both massive decisions and massive transition periods. You're launching your career or in, for many of us, you're switching careers, you're building a relationship or you're not building a relationship. And it's like, oh my God, that's like almost every single area of life. 
that you're figuring out all at the same time. So I don't, it, childhood in the sense of like, it's free and easy, I would say no, but in terms of like growth and transformation and really ma- like maturing and becoming this whole person, a hundred percent. Yes. I think I lived one childhood and then in my thirties, I dealt with it. <laughs> I really, my twenties are an absolute blur mercifully. Um, I wouldn't go back to them <laughs> if you paid me any sum of money. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. I didn't really mm-hmm. get into anything. I used to think that just powering through and locking away a whole childhood behind some big iron gate and never letting anything get out and just moving past. I used to think that moving past was how you got forward mm-hmm. and was how you grew, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have the tools mm-hmm. to do it because my understanding of tools was just like talk therapy. And that had never felt good to me ever. I had never, ever felt even remotely comfortable or myself in a therapy setting. So finding stuff like NLP is like, oh shit, I don't have to just pretend it's not there. And I can also safely address it. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's so beautiful. And that's another thing I put on my website that it like working together, it feels like actionable therapy. And, you know, like- Man, I have some incredible therapist friends online. We have a couple in common and um, they are these brilliant women. And so I say this with a grain of salt. I have also met more therapists who are not good, who like do not create a safe, sacred, loving, tender environment. And so when we put therapy as the be all end all, my like skin starts to cringe. And like some of, some of the worst advice I've ever received, which I also paid for, came from therapists and I, who clearly don't have an actual grasp of the human experience. And, you know, I hate using the word coach because I'm like, I, I don't identify as a coach. I feel I'm more of like a healer or a wisdom sharer, right? Like, what are what I know? And I don't, I'm working on it. Word. Oh, I don't you know. let me know if you find one. Yeah. It's, I, it, I don't like that word, but I don't know why I don't like that word either. It's also very masculine driven, right? Like I'm going to help you get better. And it's like Friday night lights, you know, (laughs) please don't knock Friday night lights. (laughs) I mean, I'm Texan. I don't think I'm legally allowed to knock Friday night. I didn't know that. It's my favorite state. Um, It's one of mine as well. And let me tell you something. The movie Friday night lights was the truth. Like that film was so fucking accurate. It's upsetting to me. I also really quickly just want to give a huge shout out to mental health care because I know that there yes. are some therapists out there that we we don't love, but there are so many that we do. And if you oh, need absolutely. help, I would strongly suggest digging into therapy. But the standard like like talk therapy where I just sort of like spill everything out of my brain into like a therapist's notepad has never worked for me. Other methods have, but that has not. Because there's a difference between mental health and emotional health. And if you are looking for mental health, a hundred percent, like a therapist is the way to go in that more clinical setting. If you're looking for emotional health and growth in that area, it's, it's not the way to go because sitting and talking for an hour can't get to the heart because it only engages the conscious mind, right? There are other kinds of therapies like EMDR or um, rapid transformation therapy, they do a better job of getting to the core, but a tool like NLP, when administered by somebody who really truly gets it is like the way to heal your emotional body and is what actually releases, forget about our own stuff that we acquire in our life. I have, I've experienced it personally and I've watched it with clients, people releasing generational trauma. Um, people releasing past life trauma, which I like, I don't even want to believe. And I've experienced it. I'm like, this is insane. There's no way we could ever talk through that and access that. But through this like unconscious healing modality, we are actually able to tap into what you're hanging on to in your emotional body and heal that so that you can move forward. I feel like if I have to hang on to Victorian era trauma, I should get the wardrobe too. Like, yes. how dare you, sir? <laughs> it, I want it all. If I have to take any of it, I want the clothes too. And I also want like some crazy glass house atrium in the middle of my house. <laughs> I've had so many dreams about one. I'm like, there's no way I didn't have one of those in a past life. Yeah. Yeah. You know I, I mean? totally buy that. Like some mm-hmm. really good lace up boots and puffy <laughs> sleeves. Um, 
to to give some more concrete examples because I love them and you're very good at them. Um, are <laughs> yeah. there are there common patterns that you see, particularly among single people within your work? If so, what are they, and where do you think those patterns come from? I think the overarching pattern is fear. And, you know, like I am a big fan of the Trojan horse analogy. So often people will come to me, I'm actually doing, starting in January, I'm doing an additional, I'm like such an overachiever and I'm very comfortable with that. But starting in January, I'm doing an additional 12 month coaching certification um, to really go deep into sex, love, intimacy, and relationships. And I think that that's going to be the direction that my practice ultimately moves in. But people will come to me often because they're having a block in work or they need they need some help with their boundaries or communication or they just feel stuck and they don't really know what to do about it. They just know they have this like feeling of connection, connecting with me. They know they need to work with me. And then through this, like I sometimes say that I feel like I'm a bit of a, like a forensic detective, like an emotional forensic detective. And I just kind of, I listen and I follow up and I circle back and like we ask and I ask more questions and I connect the dots and we look for those patterns. And usually that pattern really, it, it's as simple that it's fear is that, I really believe because we are social animals and social creatures, we have to, genetically, we have to feel like we belong to the group because genetically, like way deep down in that primordial ooze, if we didn't belong to the group, we were dead, period. And uh, sorry, that doesn't go away over a few hundred years of evolution. It, It just doesn't. And so I think a lot of that patterning is like fear of the absence of love. So how does that relate to singles? Well, same way it relates to anybody, anybody. And keep in mind, keep in mind the divorce rate. Like I, I can't talk about this enough either, that it's like, oh, cool. You're either single or you're not. Uh, no, there's either single or happily coupled or unhappily coupled as well. And a lot of people, it's 50% of people who are getting divorced. Uh, how many more, sorry, not sorry, are in marriages in which they really should be divorced, but don't know how to make that happen because the alternative feels too scary, right? So the, the, that common pattern of fear, of, of abandonment, of rejection, that's what we have to address by looking for evidence in like other parts of our emotional body that, you know, things are popping up. I use, I use the example of a vine that like you have this out of control vine and you're like, I just can't kill this vine. Well, when you take one tendril of that vine and just follow it back to the root and then you would address it at the source that's how you affect change. But you actually have to do that digging work to get down to the origin story. So yeah, I don't know if it's even singles specific. It's just that where does your, where, what is your fear? What does it look like? Where does it come from? How do we heal it? And then how do you move forward from that place? I wish that um, divorce wasn't such a scary thing for people. I wish it wasn't so associated with failure or shame or having done something wrong, I wish it could just be about a relationship that ran its course and it ended. And I wish that divorce could be seen as a success as opposed to a failure. I really wish that for anyone who is in a marriage that they would rather not move forward with. Completely. Like I honestly think divorce for me was harder than cancer. Like cancer was easier than going through my divorce. That's how intense divorce is, right? It should be a handshake and a hug and a wow. Thank you so much for accompanying me on this path. Look at all the memories we have. Look at all the cool things we did. Look at what an amazing opportunity we have to grow forward. And look at how badass we are for like calling a, a spade a spade and being like, we actually can't become or we can't really embody who we truly are in this relationship anymore. I love you. Thank you. I forgive you. Period. And it's like not. <laughs> it is really not. That. I think for a few people, divorce is that. I think that they are both incredibly evolved. I think for most people, divorce does not look like that. And professionals who work in the industry do not support you to have that kind of an end of marriage. You would think that after this many decades of divorce being kind of prevalent that we would have evolved past the uh, the narrow views we have around it, but it doesn't sound like we have. And that makes me sad. Yeah, me too. Me too. Hmm. Well then, 
And maybe conversations like this help. I don't know. I don't, it's, it's also, it's one of those things that I don't even know how to talk about it with people because Mm -hmm. you never want to sit down with somebody and chat with them and have them be unhappy in their relationship. I can't just say to somebody, well, why don't you get divorced? Why isn't that just advice I can give to a friend? I would never do that because that feels so intimate and so not my business or my place. But I also don't know how to be a friend that like, my friends know they could come to me and be like, listen, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about getting divorced and I need mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the, I don't know where to position myself there. As Well, I think, you know, call me biased, but I think that is more the role of a coach, like of a professional than it is for a friend because most friendships can't, they're not designed to sustain that. Getting so emotionally vulnerable with someone is a beautiful thing But once you start that conversation of like, hey, I'm thinking about getting divorced, you've created an instant dynamic. And it like as a friend, it can't be your responsibility. Again, sorry, not sorry. It cannot be your responsibility to help navigate through that experience because it's a really intense experience, right? And I think that anybody going through that process of, of, I don't know, like, should I stay in this or should I go? Like, what does normal look like? What does this feel like? Is this honestly my own stuff? Is it his own stuff? How do we work through this as, you know, the goal of being in a couple of like a really healthy, healthy, functional, nor- uh, normalized marriage is to be two independent people sharing an interdependent life. So if that's not what your relationship looks like, it's not your friends they're gonna, that are going to help you get there. It's a trained professional who's going to help ask all the tough questions. And it's like, that's what I wish was more normalized, that it's like just okay to be like, hey, look at me. I'm a human having a normal human experience. And I'm having this really intense experience in my marriage or my relationship, which happens to probably everybody. If only I had a safe space I could go to and talk about this. It's like, you do. All you have to do is ask for help. And it's not asking for help from your friends. Well, then I feel better. So thanks for fully <laughs> Let me letting me off you. the hook. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Anytime. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because, um, you know, there's really, like, there's so much content mm-hmm. and so much discussion around dating. Like, that's the only thing anybody wants to fucking talk about. If they're single <laughs> or if they're creating content for single people, it's just, like, dating content everywhere. But there aren't any... I mean, I haven't found them, but I'm also not looking for them that hard. Like relatable divorce memes. Like I don't find that oh, yeah. going around on the old Instagram. I really don't. And I, yeah. I just hope that the people don't feel alone or isolated. I know they do anyway, but I just, I don't want they that. They definitely for do. Yeah, I, I know. know. I know. <laughs> and I don't want that for people. I don't, I don't, I never want anyone to feel alone in re- in any kind of relationship status, whether you are single or whether you maybe need to be. I don't like the mm-hmm. idea of people feeling like super isolated and alone without resource. That bums me out a lot. I did a podcast um, called what it really feels like to get divorced. And the feedback I had on it is it what, and it wasn't like a tell, cause that's what also what people are terrified of when they hear somebody's divorce, they're like, Oh God, is she going to give me like a tell all story about about the divorce? And it's like, the podcast is so not that. This it's is not a, a very- Dixie Chicks <laughs> album. <laughs> It's not what's happening. <laughs> not what's happening. It's a very good tie-in, though. But <laughs> um, the podcast that I did on it was honestly this very compassionate look because people don't know how to support their friends, and like it's so traumatic. It triggered PTSD for me, and I am I am so not the only person who's had had that experience. Post-traumatic stress disorder brought on by divorce. Do you know what a huge deal that is? We are talking legit, bona fide trauma. And sorry, if you were a woman, you carry, it's your fault either way. If you left an unhealthy marriage, you just wrote, you just wrecked your family. And if your husband left you, which very seldom happens, but if you were in the minority in which your husband left you, well, it's probably your fault because you weren't meeting his needs. And it's like, oh, amazing. Now we're going to, now we're going to like pile a bunch of misogyny on this. So I was like, not on my watch. I'm going to do this podcast. It's a very compassionate look on what it actually feels like from a user experience. If you ever want to know what it like getting divorced feels like it, it feels like you press a detonation button and you spend the next few years looking through rubble. 
for pieces that used to fit and maybe do or don't anymore. Like it's, it, it's so dramatic because that is how intense it is. And like, I won't apologize for that. It's such an intense experience and it's the right one to have. It's like the right decision to make for so many people. And I was thinking, I know somebody who's just on the cusp of, of who's about to get divorced and the narrative from the other side is like, you're making the worst mistake of your life. And I was out for a hike and I was like, I don't think I know any single, any person who's been like, man, I regret leaving my marriage. Like, no, it doesn't happen. Like divorce is such a big deal. It's not a regret. It's not a regret. It's never a mistake. If you have to go through the pain of getting divorced, like you're doing the right thing. But in the podcast, it's also such a compassionate look at what it feels like. And I had so much feedback from people who are happily coupled, who were like, oh my God, I'm now able to understand my parents' divorce. Like now my sister-in-law makes so much more sense to me, whatever it is, to give this like really compassionate look, which we never, ever, ever have permission to talk about, but give this really compassionate look at like, you know, maybe if you don't have anything nice or supportive to say, don't say anything. <laughs> like maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's the right thing for you. But anyway, I'm doing what I can to offer that kind of support for a very isolating experience. I'm going to link to that podcast episode. I am also going to link to Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, which also gets into a very similar space. And I will also link to uh, Clemmy Ford, who, if you feel as a woman, like the implosion of a relationship is squarely your fault because you weren't meeting a man's needs, this woman is your actual new best friend. She is the most God in depth feminist I have ever seen create content online. She gets into the minutia of fucked upness, the messages that women can receive, particularly as they relate to relationships with men and just the alleviation of so much burden and responsibility and shame and guilt that was never ours to begin with. But how many times have we ever received the messages that they weren't ours to begin with? We've only received mm -hmm. the opposite. So we'll link to all of these resources for anyone that needs them. Um, I, I mean, I was always the weird, the weird kid in a way, because I did understand why my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. What was less clear was why they got married. That was always yeah, less yeah, clear. Yeah. And I don't know that I'll ever understand that, yeah. but I know that they got me out of the whole deal. Yeah. So and that, that might be reason enough, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I hope so. Hi. Yeah. No, and that might be like from a zoomed out perspective, that might be exactly the reason. Yeah. I know you're saying, yeah. Like the, in a very universal sense, like maybe yeah. <laughs> it's just like now you're here. It's like, cool job complete. See you later. Sign on this dotted line. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so much, but it's, I'm telling you, 30s are second childhood to like deal with all of this stuff that I was not equipped to process mm -hmm. consciously as a child. I was subconsciously soaking it up like mm -hmm. a sponge in a bucket, but I didn't know how to deal with any of it until I was in well into my 30s, well, well into my 30s. I think that's worth noting too. There's a book called Passages and I always forget who wrote it, uh, but it's from the 70s. And in Passages, she goes through and she identifies like, actual developmental milestones in a human's life. So, you know, I used to be a Montessori educator. I have three kids. Like I understand child development. What I didn't understand until, you know, a few years ago, and now it really informs my own work, is that there are significant psychological developmental milestones that happen for each of us. It doesn't stop once you turn 18. It keeps going. And so there is this point that it's usually late 30s. It's like, not even late, like mid to late 30s, 36, 38, usually women start to go like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, who am I? And it's like, it's almost one of those instant, like it's those instant things like, oh, oh my God. Like, here's how, you know, the first almost half of my life has been, does that actually align for me anymore? And that's why you see things like divorce or personal growth work or, you know, radical changes in lifestyle or whatever it is, it usually happens in the thirties because not only are you processing all the crap and stuff that's happened before, but you're also at that point of arrival of like, Oh my God, I got like 40 years left. <laughs> How am I going to spend them? Right. And it is, it's like, it is, that's, it's a universal human truth that we have this wake up moment. And again, most people get it in their thirties. 
Some people don't quite listen to it. And so they numb it down and repress it and repress it until 40s, sometimes even 50s. But like, trust me, there is a moment of arrival that everybody comes to in their lives, generally brought on by their mid late 30s of like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and like, just like a quick reassessment of everything I've committed to so far. Whenever you get there, you get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's universally speaking, it is right on time. Whenever it shows up, it is actually right on time. Isn't that so annoying? <laughs> it's both It's both annoying and very freeing. I get I to agree. relax so much more than I used to relax. I used to think that I had to be just driving the bus of my life. Like the scene from Speed, just complete yeah. on the edge of my seat, just gripped every <laughs> muscle, tightened, like have to control everything. And I have just let go of the wheel so much and just kind of like let things flow because uh, whether you drive or not it's going to go the bus is going to go where it wants like it doesn't matter what you're like (laughs) steering um that's the end of my metaphor the last thing (laughs) that I would really like to talk to you about is um I would like to know if you can help me reconcile something that I have a lot of trouble with that that trouble comes from Mm self-acceptance versus growth as in, do I need to <gasps> fix myself or am I fine the way I am? Because these fucking memes go back and forth and I'm like, pick one, pick mm-hmm. one, sir. Am I just a problem <laughs> that needs to be fixed or do I need to accept myself and be happy? Because you're telling Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you change your message. Like what's mm-hmm. going on? So can you, can you help, help me please? <laughs> yes, it would be my pleasure. And thank you for bringing this up. This is so juicy. So if you subscribe to the notion or if it feels right to you that this entire lifetime, this lifetime in particular, is about self-mastery, which is really like really coming to know thyself, what's the answer? I mean, I guess I would be really unhappy, stagnant, and not mm-hmm. growing forward. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's it. And maybe I also can accept that two. That's it. It's both. And I find there is this notion, particularly for women to constantly choose either or like either, or did you want to work or stay home? Did you want to be soft or fierce? Like, do you want to be super vocal or really meek? Like, which one do you want? And it's like blowing up that notion. Oh no, you get to be both. And you get to be strong and fierce. You get to be tender and firm. Like you get to be both. I get to be happily single and want a relationship at the same time. Now I get it. Thank you. We've just, we've just cracked, cracked a rock wide open. Isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. Accept yourself as you are. And when it feels right and you, you know, it feels right because you feel that inner pull, allow yourself to grow. And when that growth feels like it's cool to just chill here for a minute and you want to just re-accept who you are in that moment, you accept who you are in that moment because you're constantly in a state of self-knowing and self-mastering, which affords you the opportunity to be both and. I don't even need wine tonight anymore. Like I'm, I know I'm good. It's I've been it's, sober for two years, <laughs> two and a half years, two and a half years. And it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> it's just like an, Oh my God. <laughs> it is like a mental glass of wine. Just like a, such yeah. a chill out, such a calming, such a calming like moment where I don't feel like I'm doing something wrong with every second of my day. Have you ever felt like that? Like every single thought you think, every single action you take, every single thing you're doing and haven't fixed yet, everything is wrong. Every single thing you're doing or thinking is wrong. I have felt that, I did feel that for just countless, countless years. I tweeted it out one time. I was like, I was walking down the street and I literally tweeted, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you're not doing anything wrong right now. Yeah, yeah. And so many people wrote back and were like, oh my God, thank you. And I'm like, I was just Shit. <laughs> like, we shouldn't have to say these things, but it's true. The, the human experience is, is like both profoundly simple and incredibly complicated. It's, and it's both. It's like people are so easy to figure out and people are so complex and they're so nuanced. And it's like, we're so weird. We're so weird. And I don't know. I think that. I think there's, there can be a playfulness to all of this. Like, I think you'll appreciate this. The other day, I, this weekend, it was very emotionally intense. My kids are with their dad. That always ends up being, it's so freeing and it's so intense in a totally different way. And so I was having this moment. I'm going through my own professional launch for a group program I'm running. 
Halloween is around the corner and we're doing it in a different way, which means we're hosting a party, which means there's some planning. So like the boss in me was like, oh my God, work on the launch. And the mother in me was like, oh my God, work on the Halloween stuff because you have the time to do it. This is really valuable time. Like use your time wisely. And like the human being in me was like, oh, can you fucking not do a fucking thing? Like just don't do anything right now. Human one, human lease one. And I was like, at first there was guilt and shame. It was like, what am I doing wasting my time? And human lease who, and then I've got all the mindset stuff on top. So, right. It's like, you have all the skills. Like, why are you even feeling like this? The human part of me was like, all you need to do is whatever feels good to do. And it's very feminine driven, right? So what felt really good was like lying on the couch. I went for a short hike. I went for a long drive. I went to my favorite taco truck and at the taco truck, I was like, I ordered my food. I was reading my book, Americana. And this man approached me, this like older man, he approached me and he was like asking about my book. And we got into a great conversation about books and about the US election and about like just so many really wonderful things. And I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest meet cute. Except the guy was minimum 78 years old. <laughs> and for me, it's like, there's this playfulness. It's like, thanks universe. Yes, that is exactly what I said. And I said that I wanted when I wanted an older man who X, Y, and Z. I think when you can approach it with this playfulness, it's like what I'm like taking a long time to get to the point. It doesn't have to be so serious all the time. So when we're really stuck in those those intense emotions of like, what are you doing with your life? Like, what do you have to show for it? And like, where are you going? And why did you do that? There's this playfulness that's like, who fucking cares? You know, like all of it matters and fucking none of it matters. And it's like, pick one that feels better for the day, right? And when you can infuse more joy and more playfulness and oh my God, more pleasure and more curiosity, suddenly it just kind of eases up the pressure to perform all the time and allows you to sink back into that juicy place of like, I actually just am who I am. And that might look different from day to day. It might look different from moment to moment. But as long as I have the courage and the wherewithal to keep listening, I can just be that person. And then it's like, fucking gold, right? We're allowed to like being alive. It doesn't have to be just a struggle that we get through. Yeah. We don't have to just get through life. We can actually enjoy it as well. I didn't know that for a very long time, but I do know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that growth part. And tomorrow I'm just going to accept who I am. It's going to go back and forth. I am a ping pong ball, Lise. I am a human ping pong ball. Please. You're a cosmic. Yes. (laughs) Think about that. But like, I could go so deep with this. You're a cosmic ping pong ball. You know what energy is composed of like atoms that are just kind of bouncing back and forth all the time. It's like, whoa, (laughs) is anything real? And do we actually exist? (laughs) Don't ask me that. Do you know how far down a matrix rabbit hole I could go with you right now? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. (laughs) It's too much. I, it's too close to the election for me to go there. I'm sorry. No, I, just, totally I have to be it. kind to myself. As we're recording this, the election is in a week. And as you're listening to this, if you're oh. listening to it on the 2nd of November, the election is tomorrow. So oh my it's, God. I'm fragile. And today I had to watch Practical Magic at 2 p.m. because I just needed a break. So um, that's my truth. Why don't you please tell everyone how they can keep up with you online, where they can check out more of your work and what you do. And of course, I will link to everything in the show notes. Awesome. LiseWilcox.com is the hub. I'm L-E-I-S-S-E-W-I-L-C-O-X. That's the hub of where everything is. My book is available there. All the different ways to work with me from like online courses to private mentorship to this awesome group program to like one single breakthrough day. It's all there. I'm online um, on Instagram pretty much every day at least Wilcox. I just started a YouTube channel, Pinterest. Like I've got like... The cure You're for there. what ails you in every every platform possible. <laughs> we are very internet-y people um, and we're easy to find. And we both have super Googleable names, which I, I also really enjoy. I love that. How, what a gift is that? It is. And I used to not think that it was. Again, shame. Had shame mm-hmm. around everything, including my fucking name, because yeah. no one could say it. Yeah. You might know what that's like. I know a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. Are you, oh my God, are you a double introducer? Do you have to, whenever anyone's like, hi, what's your name? Do you have to say it twice? Like, uh, I, so like, hi, what's your name? Shaney. What was that? Shaney. That's my life. To the point that the way that I've like NLP reframed that part of my life, 
I start to think about, like talk about a rabbit hole. I start to think about how much time that has consumed in my life and how radically different, radically different the entire course of my life would have been if my name were Sarah. It's like, holy shit. Don't tell me that a name doesn't affect you. Right. It's like a hundred percent. It matters because it actually starts to determine the outcome. I am an animal when my friends name their babies. I weasel my way in and I'm like, listen to me. You will give this child a name that people can read and say you will go to Starbucks. You will order a cup of coffee with that name and you will watch the twisted game of telephone that spits out on the other end. And then imagine 80 years of that for your baby. And then tell me you want to name it something weird. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where it's like, like it just... it's pronounced Yasin. And it's like, no, it's pronounced Jason. And you have to get, you have to accept that. It, this spells Jason. I don't care how you pronounce it. That's not, that's not how. Oh my God. It's, oh, it's too much. It's I all know. too much. My, I order Starbucks as Rebecca. <laughs> I once booked a hair appointment for Leslie because I was too embarrassed to course correct them after calling me Leslie for so many years. One day I was like, oh, I just need to book a cut and color for Leslie. They're like, okay, great. We can't wait to see you. <laughs> How do you spell that? What was that? I'm sorry. The music in this club is really loud. Can you sign your name for me so I know what the fuck to call you? I can't. I can't. Oh, um, funny. Thank you for joining me. This was so fun and so needed. I needed this today. I needed this this close to an election. Thank yeah. you very much for taking care of me for the last hour of our oh, lives. My pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> and good luck to all of us tomorrow. Let me just say thank that. You. I feel like we are in a historic moment right now. This is like the last podcast we're going to do. In oh the God. before time. You're so, right. I know. You're right. I know. Oh, let's have a moment for our future selves. Let's care for them and love them. I know. We're going to be okay. We are. It's all going to be okay. Okay.